Well, 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 you made it. I don't just mean that you made it here, but you made it to Revelation 21 and 22. Congratulations, because this is what we've been waiting for. We've been studying Revelation here for 11 weeks, and uh, you know the first couple chapters, we have these letters to the churches, and then we keep seeing the same story get repeated throughout Revelation of the dragon, the beast, Satan, attacks And God's people have to hang on in these last days. But in the end, we see that God comes and he wins. And that story keeps getting repeated. And there's a lot of warning shots fired there for the church and for those who don't know Jesus yet. And that story gets repeated and repeated. And then we get to chapter 1 and 22, and we get to the really good stuff. And all of the arc of Scripture comes full circle today. And so this is the sermon I've been waiting to preach The other stuff was a little more difficult, and this might be a little difficult and a little tricky a few places, but really, it's just fun, because we get to, today, for the next 25 minutes or so, just sit back and think about and study and read about what will eternity be like. I mean, we are people of faith, and we believe that there's more than just this. There's more to just this life, what we see right now in front of us. And your deepest, I believe, convictions of your heart, Ecclesiastes even says this, that deep in your heart, you know that there is eternity. There's something beyond this. And so today is really fun to do this. As we've been going through this series, uh, we've really tried to help people not be afraid of revelation. I talked to a few other folks uh, this week who were asking me about what our church was studying and told them Revelation, and they said what many people have said was like, oh, that book scares me. And I said, yeah, it, it can be kind of frightening until we really lean into it and embrace it and understand a little bit how the first century church would have heard it. And so again, today, we want to come back that Revelation is not some haunted house, but it's a welcoming home that has so much good. And today, it's not quite as difficult Uh, to even get there because it's such a beautiful couple of chapters. And what I want to do today is I want to just back up a half step and get a running start at this, okay? I want to back up where we were last week just a little bit and go over kind of these seven big events that happen. And these are just the seven big uh, events that the church for 2,000 years traditionally has embraced. And there's lots of wiggle room in here for some different theories and different ideas about how this will all happen. But uh, we believe that We all live and we die. Unless Jesus comes back first, we experience those two things, physical life and death. And then secondly, for those who follow Jesus, there's this place called paradise or heaven. And sometimes we think about going to heaven and that's our final resting spot, but it's not. It's this in-between time, but it is with Jesus and it is good. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It was for a while, but that wasn't going to be the final place for that new believer. And the the third thing is Jesus' second coming. And uh, regardless of whether you're on board with kind of my interpretation of Revelation that I went through last week or not, um, many people have different views about the end times and how Jesus will come and right before and right after it. But with that said, there's room for all of those in that we all believe that Jesus will come and we will know it. And when he comes again, it won't be as an infant in Bethlehem, but it will be as a warrior riding on his horse and everybody will know it. And even this last week, 
I saw a headline that said, are these current events another sign of the end of the world? And I was just like, oh, here we go again. Really? We're gonna, somebody else is going to take a shot that they figured it out, even though Jesus said, you won't figure it out. So, so we can look ahead and we can study and we can be ready and we can know that Jesus may come back before this sermon is over. And some of you pray that prayer every week, I know. Okay, <laughs> but he may not, and it may be later, and we're not going to pretend like we can put a date to it because Jesus very directly told us, don't try to put a date to it because, because that's not for you to try to figure out. You just be ready. And then the dead will rise. That's the fourth thing, and that really is just to show that those who physically died before aren't left out of all of this. And then there is judgment specifically for those who have rejected Jesus. For those who have followed Jesus, they don't have to be afraid of this. Maybe it feels a little more like a welcoming party at this point. And then there is for those who have rejected Jesus, the second death. That God says, if you have rebelled against me and you have rejected me, then I give you your wish to stay removed from me. And that's what we call hell. And then... For those who have followed Jesus, there is this new heaven, new earth, uh, new Jerusalem. And so we see kind of this fork in the road back here. And that's where we are today. Do you remember Jesus' prayer when he his famous, the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus say, come back? Well, no, because he was right there. What was he talking about? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Is God's will always done? I would argue no, unless you think God's will is for people to sin and reject him. I can't go along with that. God actually gives us free will to choose him or to reject him. We pray for God's will to be done because we know that is always in everyone's best interest and we want everyone to follow God. But sometimes we reject God's will and we follow our own will or somebody else's will or the enemy's will, but we don't follow God's will. And so we pray that God's will would be done. We pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for this earth to feel a little more like heaven. We pray for our city, Tulsa, to feel a little bit more like the new Jerusalem that's coming. We pray for God's kingdom to come, for the way God has it in heaven where his will is always done, to be done here on earth, even now until one day that is perfectly done. It comes to complete fulfillment. So what will it be like in this new heaven and new earth that Revelation talks about. Will we all be like little angels fluttering around with harps? My goodness, I hope not. I mean, maybe, Kevin, if we could plug one in to an amp. Um, I'm okay. If I learn harp, that's great. I'm down with that. I just don't think I want to do that for eternity. And, you know, the Bugs Bunny cartoons probably haven't helped our theology here very much. But the Bible actually talks about something way more specific, way more exciting. And I want to help you kind of lay down some of the images that you've had from a TV or 
maybe a piece of art somewhere, maybe just your own imagination. And let's just see, what does the Bible say about this? And if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21. And just re- remember, John is writing this. He's seen this vision that Jesus has given to him. And John is probably really struggling to put into words the vision he saw. And then I think we struggle sometimes to envision John's words. (laughs) So it's a little tricky here, right? But we do the best we can. And I love this about the Bible. The Bible gives us enough of a glimpse that we can have faith and we can have hope. And so before we read Revelation 21, those first few verses, I want to remind you of how the Bible started. All the way back in Genesis, God created everything, right? heavens and the earth, and he created Adam and Eve, and they were in this perfect garden. They had a perfect relationship with God, with each other, with nature. They, Adam worked in the garden. Remember that? He worked actually before the curse, so work was part of the perfect environment. It was just perfect work, right? And everything was perfect and wonderful, and there was this tree of life by the river, but there was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's off limits. Everything else is fine. And so what did Adam and Eve do? They were tempted by the serpent to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned. And every time we sin, it always leads to brokenness. But it immediately led to brokenness, and everything shifted uh, tragically for them. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read about this curse that we're now under. It's a curse that we feel in our bodies, right? Some of you, your back is aching right now. That's part of the curse. We feel that in our bodies. There's a curse within our relationships. We, we see this enmity between the genders, and we feel it in our society between the generations and different ethnic groups and, and between a husband and a wife and siblings and friends. And we, this, all of these relationships are now impacted by this curse, Work would be cursed, and some of you were cursing at your work this past week even, because no longer was it perfect and beautiful and good, but there were thorns and thistles, and people were going to have to sweat just to try to survive. The land was cursed. There was a curse over the land, and so in Genesis chapter 3, the curse enters, and then we fast forward many, many years, and we get all the way to the end of time. We haven't got there yet. And we get to Revelation 21, and let's just picture what this is like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the Holy One, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It it first mentions that there is a river here, but there's no sea. What does that mean? Well, in ancient times, the sea was often symbolic of evil or danger, and it was all, all often symbolic of separation because the seas separated people. They still do. 
And Mark Moore writes that he believes that part of there being no sea was that this is a glimpse of no separation between the people. And Revelation talks about how at every tongue, tribe, and nation will be back together uh, using uh, all that they have to give, to, to give God glory. Think about this. Think about all of the people from all of the generations, from all of the places on the planet coming together to offer their best art and music and architecture and city planning and hospitality and innovation and dancing and food, discovery, technology, creativity, and beauty, all in a world with no sickness or greed or war or fighting or insecurity or loneliness, or jealousy. What kind of a place is that? It's the kind of place we're talking about. The, the text says there's a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down, and the Bible talks in terms less of, of us going and more of us coming, and so wherever John's perspective is here, it's kind of this coming. Does that mean that this is the earth that gets made new, or there's a new earth and a new heaven somewhere. I'm not sure how that all works out. We know it's new, but we, what we don't want to miss is it's a new heaven and new earth together. See, there's, the veil is gone. Right now, we, we live and we feel this physical world, and we, we have God who's come in to give us spiritual life, but we still feel this separation, this veil. And God says in eternity, there's no veil. God is with his people. Now we're thinking about the temple and the tabernacle and the veil that was split. And all of this uh, Old Testament and all the way to the time of Jesus. And what we know is we will be with God fully, fully. Not not where we are now, uh, but even better, even a more complete picture of fellowship with him. This is the new heaven and the new earth. And if we read on in the text, we would see about the measurements of this city. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles tall. A perfect cube. So... I get the 1,400 miles long and wide. I can kind of look on a map and figure out how much that is. But the 1,400 miles tall in, intrigues me. Why does it list that? And the next thing I want to ask is, do we need elevators? <laughs> I'm curious how much we learn about our resurrected bodies by looking at Jesus' resurrected body. I, I don't know that it's, gonna, it's a perfect example. I don't know that, but I'm curious about it. We know that when Jesus rose from the dead, he goes walking, and the two guys on the road to Emmaus don't recognize him until he's gone away, and maybe that was purposeful by Jesus, or maybe he looked slightly different, but enough like himself that they recognize him later. I'm not quite sure, but I know that Thomas came and touched his hands to feel his scars so there's a physical component to the resurrected body, to at least Jesus' resurrected body. And he ate breakfast with the disciples, physical. But when he came to see the disciples, do you remember how he got there? He walked through the wall. That's different. I don't know if that's part of our resurrected body or just the thing that Jesus did. I know that when Jesus, after he gave the Great Commission, says he ascended to heaven and he kind of, they looked up in the clouds, he kind of just floated off. 
And that's where I come back to 1,400 miles tall. That's a tall city. What's up there? And suddenly the possibilities become quite interesting. I don't know exactly what it will look like and how it will be. But it seems like God is painting this picture where we see a a city and we see a land and a, a river and trees and people and streets. And it's not just people floating around in the clouds, but there might be some stuff to be done that you get to participate in. I hope so. And there might be, be hobbies that you get to participate in and people you get to be with and, and to actually do things and to contribute to that society. I think that feels a little bit more like what Revelation is describing here. And the Bible says, no more death, crying, pain. We can't even imagine that. It says, no impurity will enter the city. There's walls around the city, but there's open gates but it's just a beautiful and perfect place. And so I think sometimes we say, I'm going to go to heaven forever, and I don't want to argue with that statement because it's kind of getting into just terminology, but maybe a fuller statement might be, I am going to go to heaven when I die, but then my final place is going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. I know a little more wordy, but a little more accurate. And I actually think that would help people. Because I think it's a turnoff to people to think that they're going to go float around and play a harp for eternity. But to actually think there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's our final destiny. That we'll get to do some stuff. We'll get to be with people. We'll get to walk the streets. We'll get to explore the garden. We might get to be part of the architecture or the science or the music. I don't know how all that works. But I think that's a little clearer picture. And I think that actually draws some people a little closer I remember about three or four days after our wedding, sitting and having breakfast with Beth uh, at this place where we could smell and hear the ocean. And there was all this fresh fruit at the breakfast bar that we could go get all this beautiful fruit. And there was a guy that was making omelets uh, as you wanted to order them. And I remember sitting there at this table and eating this breakfast and I didn't have any kind of physical health issues going on. We weren't sick, and everybody seemed to be happy and fine. It was quiet and peaceful. But what I really remember thinking about was I had my whole future in front of me, and I got to be with the person whom I most wanted to spend it. And that hope, that future of what's to come, and I think eternity will feel a little bit like that, where everything in your life in that moment is perfect and you have nothing but hope for the future. No worries, no fears, no trials, just hope and adventure and goodness. Every year that we participate in in Day of Serving, uh, I always leave there, sometimes dirty and sweaty, and for those of you who don't know, that's a time where we go and we serve people in our neighborhood Um, by raking yards, and oftentimes we're helping the elderly or widows or people with a disability or sickness or overwhelmed with life. And then we have other groups that go visit folks in the hospital or nursing home, and other group stays here and helps get VBS ready, and all of these people just serving that whole day. And um, by the time the day is over, we, we usually go and we have lunch together over at the mall, and we leave. And I just remember thinking, this is just a little taste of what it'll be like. 
where we actually work and we do some stuff, but it's good work. And it's with the people I most treasure and all in the presence of Jesus, even better than we can imagine. The Bible begins with this perfect picture of a garden, and it ends with this perfect picture of a city. Some people don't like cities all that much, and I guess I understand why. I mean, oftentimes there's poverty or um, violence or corruption in the cities, and the truth is, hey, we live in Oklahoma, we have some problems too, and we don't exactly have a lot of big cities. But in the city, sometimes those problems are compacted a little bit more when there's a higher volume of people. And so some people don't like cities that much, but the Bible describes this perfect city. You know, in Chicago, they got to actually kind of have a do-over after the Great Fire. And when they built the city, their goal was to create a city within a garden. And if you've walked around Chicago on foot long enough, you actually get a taste of that sometimes where you kind of veer off. And with our students this last year, we had a, a lunchtime where we took sack lunches and we kind of walked around. And we ended up in parks in the middle of the city where we couldn't hear any cars. We could hear birds chirping. And I thought, okay, they did pretty well at building at least parts of the city this way. And I think that's a little taste of the new Jerusalem that we'll experience a perfect city, a perfect garden, because in some ways, cities are the height of human achievement. I mean, think about the effort to build one bridge across a river. And then think about the architecture and skyscrapers and trying to figure out a public transit system or a city government and how complicated all of that is. And it takes the best minds coming together to make it work. Think about a, a park that is perfectly laid out. As so aesthetically pleasing that only the finest eye can even catch how this flower is here and that flower is here and that tree is there and it's all just perfect to the eye. Do you remember we talked about that tree of life in the garden all the way back in Genesis? And then we don't read anything about the tree of life for a really long time. We see a couple allusions to it, uh, referring to good things, but we don't actually read about it again until we get to Revelation, like it disappears from the pages of the Bible and the pages of history. But when we get back to Revelation, we see it again. It's actually one of the reasons why I trust the Bible. It's a different author writing this, inspired by God. It's in a different century, so many centuries later. And yet, Revelation helps Genesis come full circle I don't think anybody could have concocted that one up on the fly. I really trust the scriptures. But we see it coming full circle. Remember, there's the, the, the tree of life, and that's a good tree. Adam and Eve are told, you can eat from that tree, but the tree is guarded and off limits after the curse. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's the bad one. But then let's look over to Revelation chapter 22 and look what we see again. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal. So what we're saying is slightly different than the Arkansas River, just for comparison, okay? No sandbars. <laughs> Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Wow, I want to know more about that. 
No longer will there be any curse. Wow. Did you you see what's happened here? The curse has been reversed. After all of these years, after all of this heartache that mankind brought upon ourselves, God finally reverses the curse, right? And it is good. This past winter, we went through a series called Decluttering the Soul, and we kind of unpacked the biblical definition of soul. We had a diagram that we showed several times that explained that uh, the soul, when the Bible talks about the soul, it's not just talking about your spirit. It's talking about all of you, your whole person. There's the spirit, there's the heart and the mind, and then there's the body, because your soul is more than just DNA. Uh, and then there's the social relationships. That helps define who you are as a person. And you know that if your relationships are broken, are you okay? No. Somebody says, how are you? How's your soul? Well, if my friendships are broken. My soul is also broken. And the soul kind of encompasses all of that. And think about what the curse did. It broke all of those things. Our spirits feel the weight of that. Our mind, our heart, our will, our body, our, our, our friendships, our relationships, they feel the weight of all of that. And here we come again, full circle. Everything is restored as God designed it to be. So you get a new soul. First Corinthians talks about this resurrected body, this resurrected soul that we will have. And I can't quite understand it all. I don't know how it's all going to work. But I trust this. The best thing you can imagine, it's better. The most wonderful thing you can imagine, it's better. And it's not just somebody floating around with a harp. Maybe you'll get to do that during recess. I don't know. But it is perfect. And it is wonderful. And there's music, and there's people, and um, there's things to do, and there's a garden, and it's a city. And Here's the thing, though. Sometimes when we talk about heaven and eternity, I do have this one fear. I fear that sometimes we start talking about all that stuff a little too much. Sometimes we start talking about, well, finally I'm going to have a time to rest, or finally, my, my legs will work again like they're supposed to. Or, you know, finally, uh, I'll get to be with my relative who I miss. Well, don't get me wrong. All of those are part of God's great gift to us. But there's something that still is top priority over all of that. And Revelation makes it clear that you will be in the presence of God. And if that's not good enough for you, you're aiming at the wrong thing. That ultimately, the Christian is saying, I want to be in God's presence, and that is enough, and everything else is just the gravy. Everything else is wonderful and good, but it is to be in God's presence. God is not the means to the end for me to get to shoot baskets in heaven. God is the end. His His presence is the end. It's all that we need to be with him. And it is perfect and it is beautiful. And he lets us be 
with the loved ones who have gone before us. He lets us be with past generations. He lets us talk with the Apostle Paul. Uh, He lets us uh, have our bodies healed and our souls healed and our relationships healed and to be with people who enrich us and to get to be part of this new city, this new earth, this new heaven. But it is being in the presence of God that we're after here. And it has to be enough. It has to be enough. And so I just want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to return? Or are you ready for your last breath? Either one could come today or tomorrow, another day. It's going to come. And are you ready? I want to ask you all to, to do one thing this week for me. I want everybody at Highland Park to do this. You, you may go about it different ways, but I would like you to set aside a couple of minutes every single day this week to think about eternity. I mean, turn the radio off, just get quiet, and just think about eternity. I have a hunch that that will change our lives. I have a hunch that will change our days because when we think about eternity, it helps us get our priorities right, doesn't it? It makes sense of a lot of choices that we'll have that day. It gives us a little passion to talk with our friends and to share with our friends and to live the way we want to and to invest in our kids and grandkids the way we want to and to walk across the street and visit with our neighbor. It gives us a little bit of passion when we just pause and think about eternity because God wants us to. I love that he talks about it. And you know what? I think it's actually kind of cool that we can't quite understand it all. I mean, if we did... That'd kind of make us the smartest God. I don't want to be. I want to pretend to be. What I do want is to be there with you. I want to be there with your family and your friends. I want to maybe have a Highland Park huddle every now and then in eternity where we can talk about our experiences together here. I want that. And I hope that you want that. This morning... If you're not ready, why don't you be ready by the time you go to bed tonight? Well, some folks up front that would be glad to pray with you about what it means to follow Jesus with your life, to be baptized and die to your old self and be raised new in him. We'd love to pray with you. If you would want to even mark it on your communication card for us to study with you and talk with you, we'd love to do that. If you would, would you stand and let me pray for us? God, we... We can't wait. We can't really imagine. But we know it's good and better, and we every day feel the impact of the curse all around us. And we hold on with every breath, waiting for the day that the curse will be reversed, that you will fully be with us in all your glory. And our knees will hit the ground, and we'll worship you, And when we to spend eternity, it'll be better than we can think and imagine. God, help that to change our lives. In Jesus' name.